Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Every now and again, you will receive news that changes your life. It might be the news that you're having a baby, or that you got the job, or that the scan is clear. But every now and again, something happens that changes everything for you. In fact, one of my favorite type of videos on the internet are those videos of someone who was born deaf, but then they receive a, a hearing aid and it enables them to hear for the first time. For example, this is Sarah Sherman. She was born deaf, but then at 29 years of age, she received a, a hearing aid and it enabled her to hear. And this is the life-changing moment when she heard the voice of someone else for the very first time time. Now, if you were here last week, we kicked off a, a new sermon series in the New Testament book of First Peter. Now, this is a letter written by a man named Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and a leader in the early church. And he writes this letter to Christians who were in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they were under pressure for their faith in Jesus. And what we saw last week in uh, verses 1 to 12 was Peter unpacks the really, really good news of the gospel. Last week, we explored why Christianity is really, really good news. And what we're going to see tonight in verses 13 to 21 is that this really, really good news, it changes everything for us. It leads us into an entirely new kind of life. And this tells us something important. It tells us that Christianity is more than just believing something intellectually. It's more than just making a one-time decision and then waiting around for the rest of your life. It is relationship with God. It is an announcement of what God has done for us that changes everything for us, that leads us into a new kind of life. And it's really important for us to get this order right, because Peter does not say, well, this is what you must do, and if you do this, then God will do this for you. 
Peter begins by saying, this is what God has done for you. And so this is how you are to respond. This is how you should live in light of what God has done. Now, this is always the order in the Bible. We are first told about what God has done for us before we are told about what we must do for him. Think about when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel in the Old Testament. He did not come to Israel who were in slavery in Egypt and say to them, if you obey my law, if you obey these Ten Commandments, then I will set you free. Now He set them free by his grace. And then from that context of relationship, he gave them his law and he called them to obey. And it's the same for us. We do not obey in order to be loved and set free. We are loved and we are set free. And so we obey. In other words, we are not outsiders trying to earn our way in. We are children learning how to live in the family. And this is what Peter said to us last week. He said that God in his great mercy has given us new birth into God's family. In other words, we have a new identity as a child of God. And this new identity leads to a new life. Let me explain it this way. Earlier this year, my wife and I had our second child, a little baby girl named Eden. Now, when she was born, here's what we didn't do. We didn't put her on a probationary period. We didn't say, okay, let's see how she goes for the next three months. We'll see, you know, if she sleeps well and if she eats well and if she doesn't cry too much. You know, if she does those things, well, she can stay in the family. She was made a member of our family even before she was born. She became part of the love and the security of our family. She didn't have to earn it. She didn't do anything to deserve it. She was simply made a member by an act of love and grace. But of course, this doesn't mean that she doesn't have to do anything. I mean, if she grows up, she needs to learn to live as a member of the family. She needs to learn to give and receive forgiveness. She learns to, needs to learn to treat others with kindness and respect and to contribute and to participate and so on. But she doesn't need to do those things to qualify as a member of our family. She is made a member of our family through love and grace. And as she grows, she learns how to live in the family. And it's the same when it comes to our relationship with God. We are made a member of God's family through an act of love and grace, through the finished work of Christ on the cross and through the endless power of the Holy Spirit. But as we grow, we need to learn how to live in God's family. And this is what we are exploring tonight. In fact, the question that we want to answer tonight and the title for tonight's sermon is, how shall we now live? In light of all that God has done for us in Jesus, how should we live? How should we be changing? How should we be growing? What should our lives look like? And this is so, so important because if you are a Christian, then you will be and you should be changing and growing. Now, it might be slow and it might be difficult. It might be two steps forward and one step back, but it will be undeniable. So tonight we're going to ask ourselves the question, am I growing? Am I changing? Am I living in light 
of what God has done for me in Jesus. And what we're going to see in this passage that we're looking at tonight is three things that should mark our lives as children of God. We see three commands from God as to how we are to live as his children in his world. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this. Be hopeful. Be hopeful. God wants us to live lives of hope in this world. Now, let me explain it this way. Maybe like you, I have lots of different cards in my wallet. And some of them have a bigger bearing on my life than others. For example, my debit card I use regularly. It enables me to buy things. But then other cards, like my Go card, I don't use ever. I mean, I used to use it a lot when I caught the train to uni and then to work, but I don't need it anymore, so I don't use it. Now, sometimes the hope that we have in Jesus that we saw last week, the hope of our resurrection, the hope of our future inheritance, it can feel a little bit more like my go card than my debit card. You know, I know that I'll probably use it one day, you know, sometime, but it doesn't have a big impact. It doesn't have a big bearing on my life today. But Peter here is saying the opposite should be true. He's saying the hope that we have in Jesus It should practically and powerfully change our lives today. That's what he says in verse 13. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. In other words, as you go through life in this world as an exile, as you find yourself swimming against the tide, you need to fix your eyes on the future. You need to set your hope on Jesus' return. Now, maybe you're thinking, set my hope on the day when Jesus returns. Adam, if I'm honest, that day makes me a little bit nervous. Because the Bible talks about Jesus you know, coming with a, a flaming sword and sitting on a seat of judgment. It uses all this kind of um, this imagery that is a little bit intimidating. But look closely at what Peter says to these believers and to us. He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now the Bible says that the first time Jesus came from heaven to earth, he came to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to rise from death, to defeat it, and to give us life with God. And the Bible says because of this, you can look forward to Jesus' return when he will make all things new. You can look forward to that day with anticipation because Jesus is coming with a warm smile and a wide embrace. He's coming with grace. We will be made like him, the Bible says. We'll be with him forever. We'll be reunited with loved ones who have died in Christ. We'll be fully alive, fully loved, and fully free. And this is something for us to look forward to, to set our hope on. Now, here's Peter's point. He's saying, because we can look forward to a future filled with grace, we don't have to live a life filled with fear. Let me say that again. Because we can look forward to a future filled with grace, we don't have to live a life filled with fear. Even when we are under pressure for following Jesus, even when life is difficult, we can live with hope and with purpose. And this is our calling as God's people in this world. And maybe you're wondering, 
well, that sounds good, but, but how do I do that? I mean, what does that actually look like practically in my life? Well, this is what Peter tells us in the first half of verse 13, and he says that it begins with our minds, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, an alert mind is simply a mind that's in gear. It's ready to go. I'd explain it this way. It's a mind that's not dressed in pyjamas, sleepy and lethargic. It's a mind that's dressed in activewear. So, you know, if you wear activewear to the shops, you go for it. (laughs) It's a mind that's wearing running shoes. It's ready to go. A mind that is sober is a mind that is thinking clearly. It's not a mind that is drunk on or dulled by the trinkets and the trivialities of this world. It's a mind that is awake to and directed by the the Spirit of God and the Word of God. In other words, an alert and a sober mind has its sleeves rolled up and its thinking cap on. It's always thinking about and considering what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do and how that changes everything for us here, now and forever. How it gives us hope and confidence for the future. How it gives us peace and purpose in the present. Because here's what an alert and a sober mind knows. If Jesus is coming back with grace, if he is going to make us fully alive, if he is going to make all things new, it means that no matter what happens to you in this life, you are going to be okay. You are going to be okay. If you die, you'll be with him. And when he returns, you'll be like him. You are going to be okay. Last week, I shared with you about John de Hoog. John is a, the Old Testament lecturer at the Reformed Theological College in Melbourne, and he was recently diagnosed with bowel cancer. Now, this week I received an update, and the news isn't great. Essentially, the doctors uh, cannot remove the cancer from John's body, and, and they are now just focused on prolonging John's life. But listen to, to what John wrote in an update I, I got this week. He says, I know that the Lord is far above all these medical scenarios, and that he is good and sovereign and does not make mistakes. I know that he loves us and will not let anything happen to us that is wrong. These are not just sentimental cliches for Sally and me. We really do place our trust and our hope in him who provides hope beyond cure. Of course, I would love to be healed and to recommence the work that I love and the Lord may allow that, but his ways are best, John. Now, if you're a Christian and you're not quite living with the hope and the confidence and the peace that John has, it could be that you're not thinking enough or that you're not thinking clearly enough. Maybe your mind has become sleepy rather than alert. You spend little or no time reflecting on what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do for you. Or maybe your mind has become drunk rather than sober. You've become intoxicated with other pleasures and other things. You spend all your time, all your energy, all your effort thinking about, longing for, dreaming about things other than God. Your looks or your your clothes or your home, cars, holidays, boyfriend, girlfriend, I mean, whatever. Those things are not bad things. They're good things. 
But when they fill our minds and when they force God to the margins, they distort our perspective and they dull our hope. Listen to what Ray Ortland says, a pastor in the States. He says, what neutralizes many people today is not blatant sin, but just numbness. It comes not from open rebellion against God, but just trivial lifestyle choices that won't matter one nanosecond into heaven. If we won't care about it then, why are we living that way now? So how can we cultivate minds that are alert and sober? How can we live with our hope set on Jesus? Well, we need to be very wary of letting our minds sit in neutral. You know, I've got nothing against TV and social media and and movies and entertainment and so on. I enjoy and partake in all of those things. But we need to be very cautious about the level of our consumption. Because these things have the dangerous potential to inundate our lives and to desensitize our minds. They don't really get us going forward for God's glory. They kind of put us in neutral and they leave us a little bit stalled and stagnant. And this is why we need to put our minds into gear. We need to be actively engaging with God's truth. Reading God's word. This is why we put Bible reading plans in the growth group guides for you to read along. We need to be memorizing key scriptures, reading good books that tell us about who God is and what it means to follow Jesus. We need to be engaging God's truth. And we need to be moving forward, putting that truth into action. To not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. To start serving and giving and loving and so forth. I mean, whatever it is, we need to make our minds a priority. Because without thinking the right thoughts, we will never hope in the right promises. And we have been called by God to be hopeful in this world. We've also been called by God in this passage, we see, to be holy. To be holy. Now, I'm sure you've heard the saying, like father, like son. Now, I've kind of lost count of how many times I've heard that in my life. People say to me all the time, man, you sounded just like your dad when you said that. Or people say to me now, man, your son looks so much like you. Now, we say these things because children, for good or bad, resemble their parents. They look like them, talk like them, and often act like them. And in verses 14 to 16, Peter says, like father, like sons or daughters. As children of God, we are to resemble our heavenly father. And because God, our father, is holy, we are called to be holy. Verse 16, be holy because I am holy. Now, what comes into your mind when you think about the word holy? I'm guessing maybe it's a long list of do's and don'ts. Or maybe it's long dresses and frowning faces. I mean, this word holy, it's not a a common word in our day. It's not even a popular idea in many of our churches. And yet it's such an important word in the Bible. Because it is central to our calling as God's children in this world. So it's so important for us to understand it. Now, the word holy simply means set apart, sacred, 
different, separate. And so when the Bible says that God is holy, it means that he is separated from sin. It refers to his utter purity of character. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect justice, and so forth. And so when we are called to be holy, we are being called to put off sinful actions, and we're being called to put on and pursue God's character. In other words, there's both a negative and positive call to action. Put off and put on. And we even see this here in in these verses. First, the negative call in verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And so before we came to faith in Christ, we were ignorant about God. We were enslaved to our sinful desires. In other words, we lived by doing whatever everyone else was doing or by doing whatever we wanted to do. But God softened our hearts, opened our blind eyes, lifted us out of our ignorance and placed us in his family. And so we are now learning to live for him and to become like him. But this journey is long and it can be difficult. And in this world of hostility and difficulty, when life is hard and when temptation is strong, we sometimes forget our identity as a child of God and we fall back into old patterns of selfish and sinful indulgence. It kind of reminds me of a story that was told by... Uh, Russell Moore. Russell is a a leader in the church uh, in the United States, and he and his wife Maria adopted two boys from a Russian orphanage. And listen to to what he uh, shares about this experience. He says, When my wife Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over, and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons, we found that the transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had it supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had brought for them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. They'd never seen the sun and they'd never felt the wind. They'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along at 100 miles an hour down the road. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergei, now, Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you. A home with a mummy and a daddy who love you. Grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home, that they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been set free from the squalid orphanage of sin and unholiness. And we have been called, set free, to live a new life of holiness with God and for God and like God. This is what Peter says in verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. 
Have you ever wondered, what's God's will for my life? I mean, what does God really want me to be doing? Does he want me to start a new business? Does he want me to move overseas? Does he want me to change careers? I mean, maybe. Those are all good things. But here's what God wants for you more than anything else. Be holy because I am holy. I love the way that Ray Ortland explains what this looks like for us. Here's what he says, and I'm paraphrasing. He says, imagine that there is a boardroom in your heart. Whiteboard, big leather table, leather chairs, water bottles. And a committee sits around this table. And on this committee, there are all our different selves. There's the social self, the private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, even the religious self. And the committee is arguing and debating and voting because rarely can they come up with a unanimous decision. Now, what it does not mean to be holy is to invite Jesus onto the committee, to give Jesus a vote. What it means to be holy is to say to Jesus, my life isn't working. Please come into my life and fire the committee. Every single member in every single area of my life. I hand myself over to you now. I'm your mess now. Please run my life. And he will. You see, to be holy does not mean to add Jesus to your life as an option among all your other competing priorities. It means that Jesus becomes your life. This is why Peter says, be holy in all you do. You are so in love with Jesus, so in awe of Jesus, that you want him to run every area of your life. Your mouth, your mind, your body, your sexuality, where you go, what you do, how you do it, who you're with. You want him to rule over every area of your life and you want to become like him in every area of your life. Now, if you're thinking, well, Adam, that sounds like a lot of effort. Yes, you're right. It is. I mean, we don't automatically, we really need to get this into our heads, we don't automatically grow holier as we grow older. This is why, you know, I said this this morning, this is why you can meet some older people, 80, 90-year-olds, who might be incredibly bitter and incredibly sour. Because we don't just grow older, grow holier as we grow older. It takes time and effort and energy. We need to cooperate with God. We need to take advantage of the resources God has given us. We need to join with God's family. We need to seek God's help in prayer. Soak our minds in God's truth. Rely on God's spirit. Now maybe you're thinking, well, Adam, that sounds like it's going to take a lot of time as well. Yes, you're right again. Two out of two, well done. This is a lifelong journey. And there will be setbacks, there will be stumbles, there will be times when you fall down and fall back. And when you do, you need to remember who you are. You don't belong to the orphanage anymore. You're a loved child of God and you can stand up, repent and return to God. Just like the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son, you can run home. And God's heart will be kind and his arms will be open. We've been called by God to be hopeful, 
to be holy. Thirdly and finally, to be humble. To be humble. The key word in in verse 17 is perhaps a word we wouldn't expect. It's fear. In these verses, Peter calls us to a reverent fear of God. He calls us to humble ourselves before God. Now, the fear of God is a massive concept in the Bible, but it's also massively misunderstood. And this is because we don't normally think of fear as a good thing. But it is important for you to be afraid of the right things. I mean, you should be afraid of a crocodile in the wild. Don't go diving in that river if there's crocs there. We need to be afraid of the right thing. And Peter says that as children of God, we need to have a reverent fear of God because he wants us to fear the right thing. He does not want us to fear the threats and the rejection of the world. He wants us to fear the disapproval and the discipline of God. Now, he does not want us to fear that God is going to destroy us or that God is suddenly going to change his mind and and hate us. In fact, even in verse 17, Peter refers to our coming judgment, but who is the judge? It's our Father. Now, fathers are strict. Fathers discipline. But fathers do not destroy their children. They love their children. They do what is best for their children. And what is best for us as God's children is to obey God. Even when that will put us at odds with everybody else. Even when that won't be popular. We need to fear God more than we fear others. Because Peter says there is a day coming when we will give an account to God for what we've done with what he has given us. This doesn't mean we need to fear rejection by God. We are accepted and loved in Christ. But we will give an account to God for our lives. Now, this should sober you, but it should also motivate you. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, Adam, you don't know what's in my past. I mean, I've wasted so much time and I've done so much wrong. And you're right, I don't know what's in your past, but what I do know is that you are here and you are breathing, which means God is not finished with you. And each and every day that you get out of bed is a new day that is filled with new mercies and new opportunities. Now, of course, it won't be easy. It's going to be downright difficult at times. But that's why Peter puts that word call in there. Did you notice that? You call on a father. In the same way that a child calls on their dad for help, we can call on our heavenly father for help. Because we are his children. We belong to him. And he has bought us at an incredible cost to himself. Peter goes on in verses 18 to 21 to say that we have been bought with, redeemed, rescued by the precious blood of Christ. Do you want to know if God is committed to you? Do you want to know if God loves you? Look at the cross. Look at what he has done for you. Jesus poured out his precious blood, his life, so that we could have life with God forever. So that we could be rescued, Peter says, from an empty way of life. 
Put an empty way of life. Now, this is not a life without activity. This is not a life without enjoyment and good things. It's simply a life without God. It's a life that is caught up in the unthinking current of our cultural tradition. It's a life enslaved to the unchecked desires of our hearts. And it's a life that ends in God's just judgment. But this is why Jesus came. To set us free. To make us God's children. To give us true life. Life with God. And so the simple question that this passage forces us to ask and to answer is, are you enjoying life with God? Are you enjoying the life that Jesus has purchased for you? Are you living a life that is hopeful, that is holy, that is humble? Now, I'm going to leave some space for us in just a moment to to confess, repent, and, and do some business with God. Because maybe you would admit that that you're not that hopeful. That you're feeling a little bit defeated and a little bit discouraged tonight. Then I just want you to admit that to God and to cast your anxieties and your worries and your cares on Him. Or maybe you'd admit that you're not pursuing holiness. It's not on your radar. You're not seeking to become more and more like Christ. If anything, you're more and more like everyone else then you just admit that to God, repent, return to him and ask for his help to become who he made you to be. Maybe you'd admit that you fear others more than you fear God. Their rejection, their disapproval. Admit that to God, humble yourself before him and ask for his help. And so we're going to go now into a time of prayer and you just lay before God those things where the Spirit of God is convicting you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have bought us with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Thank you that you have saved us and set us free from the empty way of life without you. And you have saved us for true, eternal, lasting, abundant life with you. Lord, help us to walk in that life that you have given us so freely. Help us to live lives that are filled with hope, that are marked by holiness and that are humble before you, knowing that no matter what happens to us, Lord, we are going to be okay. If we die, Jesus, we will be with you. And when you return, we will be like you. And so we rejoice in that hope. And we ask that as we go from this place, we would go in the power of your spirit for the glory of your name and for the good 
of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.